Do you like true crime mixed with dark humor, angry rants, and hot takes? Then why aren't you listening to Fatal Tales? I'm Katie. I'm Azra. And we cover all sorts of true crime cases, as well as weird, evil, and downright fatal stories in our Tiny Tales episodes. If all that sounds great to you, make sure to listen to Fatal Tales wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, be gay and don't do crimes. Or at least, don't get caught. The Stuff of Nightmares Hey, what's happening everybody? My name is Rick, and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Like many people around the world, I love a good hamburger, chicken breast, or a nice juicy steak. But meat was not originally a staple in the human diet. It wasn't until approximately 2.6 million years ago when humans began to incorporate the meat and marrow from large animals into their diet. It is believed humans were forced to find other sources to eat because of climate change. As the planet heated up and rainfall diminished, fruits and vegetables became harder to find. Some scientists believe eating meat was crucial to the evolution of our ancestors' larger brains. They believe that once we started hunting prey, it led to our bipedal stance, and the art of conducting a hunt could have helped in developing language, communication, and complex societies. By nature, human teeth were not designed to rip and chew the raw meat of animals. We don't have the sharp teeth of many carnivores to help with softening of the tissue before swallowing. Now just imagine how hard it was for our ancestors to eat raw meat with their flat teeth. One thing to remember is, when humans originally began eating meat, that meat was not cooked. The practice of cooking meat didn't start until approximately 2 million years later. With the help of the cooking process, it became easier and more common for humans to consume meat. Fast forward to today, and there are restaurants on every street corner in any town. And meat is the main staple in many people's diet. In a 2018 study, the average American was expected to eat 222 pounds of beef, chicken, lamb, and pork alone. But those aren't the only kind of meat available to eat. Some are more unique, rare, and disturbing. While browsing on the internet, I came across an ad for an eco-friendly meat company. The company is called Bite Labs and they offer the ability to purchase a special type of meat, your favorite celebrity. Bite Labs grow meat from celebrity tissue samples and uses that meat to make artisanal salami. Basically, they procure a tissue sample via biopsy from your favorite celebrity, isolate myosatellite cells, which are stem cells your body uses to repair and regrow damaged muscles. They place the myosatellite cells in a medium that acts as a blood supply, providing the cells with nutrients and promoting the cells to grow. The cells are then placed over a sugar support, which allow the cells to grow into muscle tissue. The tissue is then removed and added to other types of meats and spices to create one of their special meat products. Who comes up with this stuff? So anyway, I decided to dig a little further into the obscure 
and found another website devoted to the stuff that makes my skin crawl, cannibalclub.org. On the website's home screen, they tout, specializing in the preparation of human meat, Cannibal Club brings the cutting edge of experimental cuisine to the refined palates of LA's cultural elite. Our master chefs hail from around the world for the opportunity to practice their craft free of compromise and unbounded by convention. Our exclusive clientele includes noted filmmakers, intellectuals, and celebrities who have embraced the entitlement ideas of free expression and rationalism. On event nights, avant-garde performance artists, celebrated literary figures, and groundbreaking musicians entertain our guests. At Cannibal Club, we celebrate artistic excellence as the natural and inevitable expression of the unbridled human spirit. The website goes on to state, they procure their specialty meat from institutions and businesses that like to stay discreet, and they take considerable care to ensure their meat is produced legally and ethically, and only derived from young, healthy bodies. Their menu includes penne pasta with meat sauce, liver and mushroom, piroski, Mrs. Lovett's meat pies, and my personal favorite, placenta lasagna. So, you're super excited and just want to go, right? Well, unfortunately, you need to reach out to them via their contact page, and they'll send you information about their membership process. They like to operate privately and need to vet their members in order to avoid disruption from those less entitled. Their words, not mine. Wait, what? Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to be one of those less entitled people. Ironically, in the United States, there are no laws against cannibalism. But most states, if not all of them, have enacted laws that indirectly make it impossible to legally obtain and consume another human's body matter. But not everybody follows those laws, and you don't have to be a cannibal to enjoy the fresh meat of a human. You just need someone to serve it to you, without you knowing. Here are a few people that decided to share their enjoyment of human flesh with those unsuspecting. Nathaniel Bar Jonah Nathaniel was born David Paul Brown on February 15, 1957 in Worcester, Massachusetts. At an early age, he showed signs of being a troubled child. In July 1964, at the age of seven, he lured a five-year-old neighbor into his basement telling her he could predict the future using his new Ouija board. He tried strangling the young girl, but she was able to scream and get the attention of his mother who rescued her. In January of 1974, Nathaniel lured a six-year-old neighbor to a nearby hill to go sledding. He proceeded to sexually assault the boy. A few years later, he tried to lure two boys riding their bike to a nearby cemetery where he intended to murder them. One of the boys grew suspicious and talked the other one into not going. In March of 1975, Eight-year-old Richard O'Connor was on his way to school when Nathaniel, who was impersonating a police officer, abducted the boy. A neighbor who saw the boy get abducted notified the police. A little while later, a patrol car spotted a car matching the description of the one used in the abduction parked far away from other cars in a parking lot and called for backup. 
They ordered Nathaniel out of the vehicle where police found the boy bloody and barely alive in the back seat. He had been sexually assaulted and strangled. Nathaniel was sentenced to one year probation. While on probation, he impersonated a police officer and abducted a nine-year-old girl in a nearby town. But when the girl started vomiting and convulsing after he assaulted her, he threw her out of the car onto a sidewalk and drove away. A witness took down his license plate number leading to his arrest. His arrest was never turned into his parole officer and he was released from probation in May of 1976. On September 24, 1977, he again impersonated an officer, this time an FBI agent, and convinced two boys to get into his vehicle. He drove them to a secluded location, handcuffed them, then he proceeded to molest, strangle, and flick cigarette ash on them. He tried to kill the one boy by jumping on the boy's chest with his 375-pound frame, and when he thought he succeeded, put the other boy in the trunk of the car and left the area. Unbeknownst to Nathan, the boy he left for dead was alive, and when he regained the consciousness, found the strength to find help, which led to Nathaniel's arrest and saved his friend's life. Nathaniel would be sentenced to 18 to 20 years for attempted murder. In March of 1984, while serving his time in prison, Nathaniel was transferred to Bridgewater State Hospital. During his time at the hospital, he would change his name to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona, and he would tell the doctors of his fantasies of abducting, murdering, and cannibalizing children. In 1991, Nathaniel would be released. Superior Court Judge Walter E. Steele ruled the state had failed to prove he was dangerous. Just a month after being released on August 9, 1991, Nathaniel noticed a seven-year-old boy sitting alone in a car outside of a post office. He forced his way into the car and tried to smother the boy by sitting on him. Witnesses, including the boy's mother, noticed the struggle in the car and ran to help the boy, causing Nathaniel to flee the scene. He was arrested for the attack and claimed he got into the car to get out of the rain, but later confirmed he was trying to kill the boy. For that attack, a deal was made that would send Nathaniel to be with family in Minnesota while serving two years probation. In 1996, 10-year-old Zach Ramsey left his house to walk to school. He took his usual route through an alleyway near the 400 block of 4th Street. Somewhere between 4th and 6th Street, Zach disappeared. Various witnesses saw Zach, but they all seemed to see something different. One witness saw Zach standing in the alleyway like he was waiting for someone. One witness saw a white four-door car almost hit Zach in the alley. Another witness saw an obese man following closely behind Zach in the alley, while yet another witness saw Nathaniel standing by a dumpster in the alley, then noticed Zach walk down the alley while Nathaniel was still standing at the dumpster. Despite the witness accounts and the subsequent investigation by the police, the case went cold. He was never seen or heard from again, and in 2011, a judge declared him legally dead. In 1999, Nathaniel would be arrested again for impersonating a police officer. While searching his home, police discovered a journal written in code, many pictures of children, and a human bone that was identified as belonging to a young, unidentified male. 
With help from the FBI, the journal was deciphered and was found to contain details of his obsession with torturing and murdering children. The journal also detailed how to cook and eat children and had recipes such as Little Boy Pot Pie, Little Boy Stew, My Little Kid Dessert, and lunches served on the patio with roasted child. They also found a meat grinder with hair still inside it. It is believed that Nathaniel kidnapped and killed Zach Ramsey and cut up his body for stews and hamburgers that he fed to unsuspecting neighbors. When neighbors heard of the things found in his house, they recalled the meals that Nathaniel had cooked for them and how the meat tasted weird. He claimed it was venison, but many people believe it was something else entirely. Montana police charged Nathaniel with the kidnapping and sexual assault of Zach Ramsey, along with three other boys. He was prosecuted for the assault, kidnapping, and sexual assault of the four boys, including charges he had tortured one of the boys and hung him from the ceiling. Nathaniel was sentenced to 130 years in prison. On April 13, 2008, Nathaniel was found unresponsive in his cell. Joe Matheny Joe Matheny claimed his murderous ways started back in the mid-1970s, but the only ones he could be convicted for happened almost 20 years later. The following is from his confession. In the summer of 1994, Joe was a truck driver for a pallet company in Baltimore, Maryland. One night, he got off work, and when he walked in the door of his mobile home, he noticed everything was gone, including his wife and his son. He wasn't mad that she left him and took all their belongings. The thing that upset him the most was the fact that she took their son. About six months later, he learned that his son was taken away by authorities for neglect and that his wife moved to the other side of town with another man who was pimping her out. Joe had heard that they may be living under a bridge getting high with some of the homeless that lived there and he went looking for him. He arrived at the bridge with axe in hand, but the couple were not there. He noticed the two men that they supposedly were smoking crack with laying on a mattress and proceeded to chop them up with the axe. After that, he gave drugs to two prostitutes trying to get information from them on where his wife was. When they told him they didn't know where she was, he raped, beat, and killed them. He happened to notice an old man fishing along the bank that was looking up at him and saw what he did. So Joe grabbed the pipe that was laying on the ground, ran down to the man, and beat him to death with it. He then tied rocks to all the bodies and threw them in the river. Within a five-hour period, Joe had murdered five people. He washed up in the river and cleaned up the crime scene as much as he could and then went home. Two and a half weeks later, he was arrested and charged with the murder of the two men on the mattresses. After spending nearly 18 months in Baltimore City Prison awaiting trial, the day finally arrived. The trial lasted one week, but the judge threw out the case due to lack of evidence. Finally free again, Joe went to see his old boss. He convinced his boss to let him stay in an abandoned trailer on the property. That way he could keep an eye on the place at night. He was given keys to the trailer and the front gate 
and had free reign of the isolated property on a dead-end street. It was a perfect place for what Joe was intending to do since he got out of prison. Joe would proceed to lure two female crack addicts to the trailer before killing and butchering them. He placed their meat into Tupperware bowls and put the bowls in his freezer. He then buried the rest of the remains in shallow graves in a wooded area behind the company's property. Over the next few weeks, Joe opened up a small roadside barbecue stand where he sold roast beef and pork sandwiches. It was a pretty popular place until he ran out of his special meat. You see, Joe was mixing the human meat in with the other meat to give it his special flavor. He needed more bodies. He lured another female to his trailer and proceeded to beat her up while laughing and taunting her. She screamed as loud as she could to no avail. There was no one around to hear her cries. But she would be the one to have the last laugh. Joe turned his back to the woman just long enough for her to sprint out of the door of the trailer before he could catch her. There was an eight-foot fence with barbed wire that ran around the property, so he felt he had the situation under control. However, there was a stack of pallets at one spot of the fence that stood about 10 feet high. The girl ran to the pallets and climbed all the way up before jumping to safety on the other side. She ran down the main road where she flagged down a pickup truck and had the driver take her to a nearby gas station to call police. Joe knew the police were coming, so he grabbed the woman's clothing and the keys to the front gate and proceeded to open the gate. As soon as he got the gate open, a police car pulled up and by gunpoint, the police ordered Joe to the ground. On December 19, 1996, Joe was charged with the killing of three women. He is serving life in prison after his death penalty conviction was overturned in July of 2000. So I'm going to close out this true crime segment with a few newspaper articles from other areas in the world that have this exact same problem. When we go out to eat, we have no control over who is making our food, how they make our food, or where they get their ingredients to make our food. Just kind of makes you wonder, what are we really eating? So this is an independent.com article dated February 12th, 2014 and takes place in Africa. Cannibal restaurant with roasted human heads on the menu shut down by police. Police arrested 11 people and closed the restaurant after two human heads wrapped in cellophane were discovered at a hotel restaurant that had been serving human flesh. A tip-off led police to the macabre discovery in Anambra, Nigeria, with 11 people being arrested and AK-47 guns and other weapons being seized. Human flesh was apparently being sold as an expensive treat at the restaurant, with authorities saying that roasted human heads was even on the menu. I went to the hotel earlier this year after eating. I was told that a lump of meat was being sold at 700 Naira. I was surprised. A pastor who had visited the eatery said, So I did not know it was human meat that I ate at such expensive price. What is this country turning into? Can you imagine people selling human flesh as meat? He added. Seriously, I'm beginning to fear people in this part of the world. Another local added to the Osun Defender newspaper, I always noticed funny movements in and out of the hotel. Dirty people with dirty characters always come into the hotel. So I was not surprised when the police made this discovery in the early hours of yesterday. The tabloid reported that two army caps, 
40 rounds of live ammunition and so many cell phones were also discovered by authorities. And this last article is from The Sun, dated October 31st, 2018. Horrified diners at vegetarian restaurants served human flesh after owner killed customer and hid meat and noodles. Customers at the eatery in Lakrabang, Bangkok, were shocked to find chunks of meat in their supposedly veggie meals. The disgruntled patrons believed they had been served pork or chicken, complained to local authorities as the restaurant was supposed to be vegetarian. However, when investigators entered the premises, they found blood splattered on the walls and pieces of flesh on the floor, reports Asia One. Police then found the rotting corpse of a 61-year-old man in the restaurant's septic tank. The owner of the eatery fled his business before the cops arrived and is still reportedly on the run. Authorities later identified the victim as Prasit Inpratham, who was a regular customer of the restaurant, reports local media. Prasit was last seen drinking in the diner on October 21st with his brother, it is alleged. Local media reports that he was allegedly involved in an argument with the restaurant owner. The 61-year-old died after being smashed on the head with a blunt object and being stabbed six times in the stomach and legs, report claims. Local police believe the restaurant boss tried to get rid of the victim's body by slaughtering him and serving him to fellow patrons. It is not known whether customers actually ate any human flesh. Now, who wants a burger? Hey there, I'm Tony Palacio, host of There Is Something Out There, a new podcast dedicated to true crime, the mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, home of Bigfoot and some of America's most notorious serial killers, I'm going to present to you the world's worst crimes, scariest monsters, strangest stories, tall tales, and totally terrifying testimonials. Join me as we discover that the noises you hear may not just be your imagination. There is something out there. You can find me wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, including Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So in honor of our second season, I'd like to give away some t-shirts. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to the Facebook page of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. There will be instructions there, and it'll tell you how you can enter. It doesn't cost anything. And the more people you refer to the podcast, the more entries you get. So come visit the Facebook page. Thanks. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Every day, people all over the world encounter things they cannot explain, things that terrify them, and things that defy logic. But not everything can be rationalized. Not everything has a logical explanation. Not everything can be proven by science. In fact, according to Dr. Ethan Seigel, when it comes to science, proving anything is an impossibility. It is a theory based on a lot of evidence to validate a specific idea over a period of time. He states, nothing in science can ever truly be proven. It's always subject to revision. If that in fact is the case, 
Why are some people so skeptical of things that cannot be explained? Over the years, dozens of plant and animals thought to be extinct have been identified. Just last year alone, California Academy of Science researchers discovered 71 new animal and plant species. So is it out of the realm of possibility that people are seeing cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot? To those that have seen or experienced these unknown phenomena, it is real and terrifying. Many choose to keep their experiences to themselves for fear of being ridiculed or ostracized. Many are looking for validation from others to ensure that what they saw or experienced was truly real and not just in their head. And then there are those that know what they experienced and want to help others by sharing their experiences. These are their stories. Alright, so our first paranormal encounter is from Nina in Connecticut. My name is Nina and I'm from Meriden, Connecticut and here's my paranormal story. When I was 15, I was fooling around with a spirit board and also fooling around with um, occult materials, um, darker occult materials, I guess you would say. One day I decided to play with the spirit board by myself and I didn't get, nothing happened. A couple of days later, I decided to play with my cousin, my older cousin, Amy, um, with the spirit board and nothing happened. So I started fooling around with um, a book that you could conjure up spirits. Remind you, my house was already haunted. We, our names would be called um, Out of Thin Air. We saw people walking up the stairs. Um, we would hear like knocks and coming from the walls. Um, while I was like conjuring up, um, well, trying to conjure up spirits, nothing happened. So I just thought it was just, it was just failed. Like I just failed. So I didn't think nothing of it. A couple of days later, I was woken up with something growling in my ear and I couldn't move, but I felt like there was something next to me. The next night, the same thing happened to me, something growling in my ear. And this happened three days in a row, same time. I wanna say like the fourth or fifth night that this happened, I decided to open my eyes to see, to see like what was growling in my ear. And when I did, there was a black hooded shadow figure standing by my bed. Like I said, I couldn't move. I was trying to like move my fingers so I could like make myself like eventually, you know, move. I eventually did get like move and um, was able to move and I ran to turn on my light. And there is nothing, there is no like black shadow figure or anything. Like this happened every single night around the same time, like 3, 3.15 in the morning. And if I felt like back to sleep, it would happen, happen again with something growling in my ear and not being able to move. I just started to like sleep like um, down in the, like the living room, down in the basement. And think it's still like a, not being able to move something growling in my ear that I eventually I I went across the street to my cousin's Amy house um to stay thinking this experience is always only happening because 
of the house like it was already haunted and I didn't think it was going to follow me well it did it followed me across the street same thing happened woken up with something growling my ear one experience I actually couldn't move and I saw it looked like cat's eyes like above me like floating um that really scared me something another night something touched my my foot with long fingernails like went down my foot i would see shadow figures during the day in the hallway i eventually like got um a babysitting job in the next town so i was happy about that like monday through friday i would be sleeping at that house at my aunt's house thinking like it won't it won't follow me there well it did it followed me there the first night i was there i was woken up with something growling my ear and above me was a light that you had to like physically touch to um you had to physically like touch it to turn it on well that was going on and off like like crazy like just on and off and you could just feel like the air was thick and you and you know knew something was in the room with you but you just couldn't see it so i i walked quickly out of the room and i was trying to be quiet but like walk quickly like out like i was trying to go into the living room to sleep but I had to pass my little cousin's room that I was babysitting during the week before and I heard whispering like I thought he was up talking to himself so I didn't want to like interrupt him and I just laid down in the living room well the next morning I told my aunt oh so and so was up last night in his room talking to himself and she was like no he was sleeping with me the whole night So I don't know what was in that room talking to like mimicking him in that house in Wallingford I would experience shadow figures down in the family room something calling my name I eventually like moved back to the first house my grandparents house where I I lived cuz I I knew it was just going to follow me from house to house One night I fell asleep down in the basement and I heard I was woken up with something running down the basement stairs and standing in the doorway was this half goat half man looking entity but its face was censored out so I couldn't see what the face looked like and it kept on disappearing and reappearing until I got closer to um the sofa that I was sleeping on and it told me to go upstairs my grandmother wants me at this time I couldn't move maybe a few seconds or a minute I I was able to move and I ran up the stairs and my grandmother was was fast asleep every everyone was asleep the next morning she was telling me how she had She had these occurring dreams about me signing a book with the devil. So I don't know if it was the same thing that she saw like that I saw down in the basement. But she was saying, you know, you I don't know if you're doing something, but I was I'm having the same dreams each night of you signing something with the devil.
the last straw I had was when it started threatening to to hurt my family. I knew I had to do something. Um, so I grabbed the spirit board and I and I grabbed the book that I was using to conjure up spirits and I threw it out. That night that I threw out the book, the thing came back and told me that it was going to return. About 10, maybe 13 years later, when I had my, um, my son, I was married, I had my son, and he was, he was sleeping in bassinet by my bed. I looked up and I saw a black hooded shadow figure walking across the room and into, into the wall. Now that was like the last time I saw it. We moved again about two years later, I mean two years ago, to a new house where the second owners, my son said he saw down in the family room, we have a little half bathroom. He saw a shadow figure going back and forth. He ran upstairs and told me, you know, there's a, a shadow figure walking back and forth and it has a hood on. And till this day, I don't know if that's what he really saw or, and that's my story. We didn't have any more experience with the black hooded shadow figure or the entity that was half goat and half man. When you got rid of the book and you got rid of the, the Ouija board, you had no other issues with that, which sounds like you were really lucky because a lot of stories that I've heard, um, there's that does not necessarily get rid of whatever was at your house. Did you did you close the session out? Did you do anything other than just throw the stuff away? I just got rid of the stuff and I and I just haven't played. Like I'm very um I don't play with spirit boards. Um I don't have any books about conjuring spirits. Like I'm very um I'm into paranormal and I like, you know, do ghost tours, like I'll ghost places, but if I hear that there's a negative there might be a, like a negative entity. I, I'll avoid that place. Like I, I, I think I was lucky that it didn't. Like eventually, like it stopped when I threw it out. Like it did tell me that night that I was gonna come back. So it's always in the back of my mind that it might show up, which it did when um I had my I had my son. Is that the first time he ever experienced anything that he at least that he's told you about? My my son, yeah. That was like his first. Um, we did hear, um, I want to say like like old time music here, but I was um, at that summertime. I was like talking about my experience because I was I was going on the show, so I don't know if like talking about it too much, um, giving it recognition. Right. One last question before I go back to what you just said. When when you had all the experiences happening to you. Was it physically draining your energy? What, did yeah, it feel like, like it was getting stronger, but it was taking your energy to do it? Yeah, I was so tired. My personality changed. Um, I forgot to say, like, during the day, like, I started sleeping during the day because I, I couldn't sleep at night. But eventually, like, it knew. I think it knew what I was doing, sleeping during the day. So it would come during the day and, like, try to wake me up. Cause I was taking like cat naps because I was drained. I didn't 
want to like do anything um even my cousin amy was like your personality just changed like you just changed because i'm very like outgoing happy and i just i was so it was more than tired like i just couldn't function i couldn't do anything because i felt just drained like now let's go back to what you just said you were talking about the show why don't you let everybody know about the show you were on oh the show i was on that um documented my story is called my paranormal nightmare it was on the travel channel it was it's about like experience that people had when they were children and i believe yours was episode nine yeah episode nine um i think the title was possession yeah and and the the portrayal of your goat man was horrifying on the show and that's how he actually looked it just his face was censored and he had claws like long nails because i think he was the one who was like scratched my foot when my foot was out from the blanket because i still i until this day i have to sleep with my feet under the blankets and because of the growl in my ear i have to have my covers covered my blanket like cover my ears and that's how i have to fall asleep that's definitely definitely a life-changing experience because now you you pretty much look over your shoulder expecting something else to happen at some point especially after it said i'll be back yeah like if i wake up um at 3 3 15 i always look around because i'm like why did i wake up at this time luckily i don't see anything but it's always like I'm 39 now and it's happened when I was like 15, 16 and I'm still, cause my aunt lives there now. Even when I visit the house, I get a little nervous going upstairs cause I think I'm gonna see something. So I have one last question for you and, and I'm just curious, could you feel like something was gonna happen? Like, did you have any kind of intuition that something was gonna happen when it did? No, it was after a couple of days I was waking up with the same thing, the growl in the ear, um, not being able to move. Because I had that experience not being able to move, like just a couple of times way before, but it was never like this, never like with something growling in my ear and at the same time and then every single day. And then, then um, down the line, like it was if I fell back to sleep, something's gonna growl in my ear again and it was just like the same thing was going to occur like it just continued right until like daylight all right well first i want to thank you nina for coming on the show um and being willing to you know tell everyone your experience and kind of give them an idea that you know if they've had an experience similar don't think you're crazy because you're not the only one that's had experiences. I just want people to know, I feel like the spirit boards are not games and to always educate yourself before you decide to like look into books with spells in it, educate yourself. Don't be like me and just go straight into it with no knowledge. Thank you for having me. Our next encounter is from V in Ohio. Hi, everybody. My name is V, and I'm from Ohio, and I have quite a bit of paranormal 
stuff happened to me in my life. But I think what I'm going to do right now is talk about the house, my very first house that my husband and I ever bought. And we were so excited about it. And um, the first time I was there, I'd gone by myself um, to kind of just clean up. It was this house. They don't even know how old it was. They say it was like the second or third house built in our little city here, village, whatever. And um, so we don't know how old it was. But I was there just straightening up, cleaning up, getting ready to move our stuff in. And our house sits on this, on the right side, there's all this um, wooded area. And then we have a closed in back porch. And then on the left side is like a little street that comes up to where our house is. And I'm standing there and I'm cleaning the kitchen sink. And out of the window, I see a little kid. And it's a little girl and she's got dark hair. She looked like she was almost in a school uniform, maybe about the age of seven, maybe eight, with long dark hair to her waist. And she had white bobby socks on. And she's just standing there looking at me on our enclosed porch. So I'm like, where did she come from? Because I didn't see her. And I went out the door. I, I left the kitchen area and I went out the screen door. And by the time I got around to her, which was like three seconds, she was gone. And she was nowhere to be found. And I'm like, did she go in the woods? So I even like called out into the woods to see if maybe she was in there. And there was no answer nobody was there and of course I would realize later on after we moved in that she was not of this world and so we moved in and I kept seeing her in the house and nobody else was seeing her and she would just be standing there like sometimes you know she just like appear in the bathroom or in the kitchen and um, she did appear in our bathroom quite a bit and in our bathroom we had a trap like a fall down door with steps and you could go up to the attic and there was a turret there which is like a pointy section on the house this house is very old and she would stand in front of that door a lot and so one day I decided I had not been up in the attic it's not it was a very creepy old attic but I went up there and way back in the back way back in the back in the corner you could barely see it there was this little box and I couldn't get there because like it was not like there was no floor there you had to walk on the beams so I managed I'm like I'm gonna go see what that box is so I managed to kind of balance my way back there on the beams beams and I picked up the box and um, they were full of pictures and they were pictures that people had taken of their dead relatives like they were obviously dead and she was in one of the pictures with a boy and they were both dead. They looked like they were twins. And that's where I knew she must have died in the house um, or somewhere in the property. And that's the first experience I had in this house. And she was always very, very sweet to me. I think at one point I had just brought home my one son and he was a newborn and I had laid him in his crib and I had fallen asleep on the couch and somebody screamed in my face, um, V, wake up, check the baby. And I got up, I'm like, what the heck was that? Did she, and I, there's nobody around, it's just me on the couch. So I run upstairs and sure enough, my son was not breathing. By the time I picked him up, and I kind of like, I didn't shake him, but I kind of like patted his back and he took a gasp of breath. And that was, I was 
very thankful that she was she was there. I, she played with my babies a lot. Like I know it was her because they would be giggling and and you could just tell they were talking and giggling to somebody. So that's my first experience in that house, and that's my first ghost in that house. So there is another one. Um, the other one was very very mean and very hostile and he it started out with him just moving stuff I thought I was losing my mind I really did I could have sworn I put that hammer there or I put that plate there and I could not I could not find it anywhere and then it would just turn up like upstairs in the bathroom or in the refrigerator I found something in the refrigerator once um, we'd hear noises like our cabinet doors were being slung open and dishes were being strewn out I'd go running down there and there would be it would be fine um, I could not have a babysitter at the house this ghost ran off or spirit or demon or whatever you want to call it ran off every single babysitter I had they said and they all told me the same thing your house would start pounding like people is on the outside pounding and pounding and pounding and I'd run outside because I'm watching your kids and I'm thinking is there people here I have 911 plugged into my phone getting ready to call 911 nobody's there and I go back in I turn on the TV and then I'd see a person run up the steps and I was like, what the heck? Maybe somebody got in. This is the babysitter talking. The babysitters, because it's always the same story. And they said, I'd go running up the steps. I'd search the whole house. I'd check on the kids. And there'd be nothing. And as I'm walking down the steps, I would see that same figure. And it looked like he was in a cloak. Run around the corner into the kitchen. And I'd go running downstairs. And they literally dealt with pounding, with the shadow figure guy, with... Um, noises all night the whole time they were there and they would be so frightened that they would never come and babysit again um, so that's him and he has done a lot more stuff as things progress as we live there longer and longer um, bulbs light bulbs and chandeliers would crack and break over top of my head and I, I have glass fall down on me um, I think I may have been pushed I'm not 100% certain down the steps one time um, I can't say for certain that it was a push, but I was very confused at how I fell down the steps. Let's just put it that way. Um, and then, um, let me see, what else did he do? Um, the lights on and off. And the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing from the time we moved in, um, I guess be, we'd been there a couple weeks. My neighbor came down to visit. There's only three houses on this little street, and it's kind of up on a hill. And the one lady, old lady at the top, she came down to visit, say hello, and we met each other, and we exchanged numbers. I knew she was an older person, and I wanted her to know she could call me whenever she needed anything because she was alone up there. And um, she would call me at 2.30, 3 o'clock every night and say, V, are you okay? And... Um, I'd be like, yeah, I'm sleeping. What's going on? And she said, there's so many people. And on your back porch, there's like 10 people back there. And they're like pounding on stuff. And I think they're trying to break in. I'd wake my husband up. We'd go running downstairs. Nobody. And it got so bad, she would call the police before she'd call me. It got so bad that we had one of our cops, one of the cops of the little township, would park himself right near our house 
every night that he was on the shift so that he wouldn't have to keep answering these phone calls because I found out later it wasn't just her it was the other person the third house on the hill would call 911 because he would see people running around in my yard um he actually kind of went off on me one day saying that I was hiding the FBI up in my attic and I'm like look I don't know what you're talking about you're welcome to come up he's like there is somebody up in that attic staring at me all the time and it caused a little bit of bad blood but I let him go up to the attic and see and he didn't see anybody and that was fine like he settled down after that and you know we we were pretty close friends now but um the one thing that happened that really really scared me the one thing that made me really angry is I came home like with a newborn my son was 2 days old I was the only one home and I would I had to take a shower so as all mothers do with newborns we bundle them all up tight and I put him in the middle of my king size bed and I put pillows all around him like not touching him so if he kind of you know moved his head he wouldn't suffocate and I jumped in the shower when I came back from the shower he was completely unbundled and something or someone had picked him up and moved him on the outside of the stack of pillows and these stack of pillows they were like a foot high like i made sure he couldn't roll over him i mean he's 2 days old but you never take chances they had put him on the outside of the um circle of pillows i had right near the edge of the bed and i started screaming at whatever was in this house and i said you know what you can do whatever you want to me but you don't ever touch one of my children again and he kind of settled down after that and you know i'm a religious person so i said you know in Jesus's name I'm telling you to get out and he kind of settled down for a little while um but he came back and eventually it was so bad my husband thought I was going crazy and then finally I guess about a year before we moved out my my husband started seeing he saw the little girl she was always behind me and he said he would be looking at me and she'd peek her head around my hip and he just he said things started moving on him while he was sitting in the living room watching TV something would move across the floor and he was he started to believe me but he was also getting a little bit paranoid we didn't really want he didn't want to live there now now that he knew it was a real thing um my children pretty much grew up with it we were in the house for 10 maybe 11 years and um the stories that they had um are terrifying my children were terrified sometimes and they couldn't sleep and i ended up having to sit in the room with them because there was a man on the wall who would talk to them and if they didn't do what he said like get out of bed and get a drink of water or go pour water on your sister in their in their bedroom then he would start opening and closing their their drawers back and forth back and forth back and forth and i could hear stuff going on upstairs and then i'd hear one of the kids yell for me and then when i'd go up there there was nothing there um also we had a, some very distinct smells in the house that were very unusual um not to mention nightmares i was plagued with nightmares that were absolutely terrifying the last nightmare i had i had a dream nightmare that um my girl's doll we had these porcelain dolls up on their up on their shelf which i might add the girls did not like and they wanted me to put away and i'm like why don't you like them and they said because they keep moving around at night and looking at us so i had taken the dolls down and i had put them downstairs and um 
in our little storage area. And one night I had a dream that one of the dolls was trying to get to my daughter and choke her. And I remember chasing this doll around the upstairs and finally I caught it and I stabbed it in the head with a knife and I killed it. That's what, that's what was my dream. When I woke up, I swung my legs over to get down onto the ground, put my feet on the ground the next morning and I stepped on something. I looked down, it was the same exact doll that was in my nightmare that should have been downstairs in the storage area and there was a pencil sticking out of its head. So I don't know how much of that was a dream and how much was real. And that's just one of many nightmare things I had. I, I had another one where my daughter, somebody came into the house and took my daughter and took her out into the snow. We have kind of like a big backyard and she was little and they had dropped her in the snow with her pajamas and her blanket out there. and. I could hear screaming, it woke me up. I went to the window and I saw her out there. So I went running down the steps to get to her and I went out the back door and I went to get to her and she wasn't there. And then I'd look up and she'd be standing in the window of her room with some weird guy there next to her. And I'd go running into the house. I did this in this nightmare maybe 10 times before I finally woke up. I woke up in my daughter's room, in her bed. My feet were muddy. My pajamas were soaking wet. So I have no idea how much this was me or whatever, but there was some really weird stuff. So we ended up actually giving the house back to the bank and it sold. Um, and we happened to know the family that bought it. And they stayed for, I, I, you know, don't quote me on how, how long it was, but it was somewhere between 30 and 90 days and they couldn't take it anymore and they um, left. And when we asked them why, they said, there's something wrong with that house. And they said, I don't want to talk about it. There's something wrong with that house. That house has now been vacant for like 11 years. So that's the story of my house in Ohio. Do you have any questions? I do. <laughs> Okay. So the first thing, um, did you ever end up doing any kind of history on the house and look up to see if anything maybe happened at the house that you weren't aware of? I did find, I did do some history. Um, the oldest church that they had was right across the street from this house. Apparently this house was built for that church congregation for that preacher and he he lived and all he would have to do is walk across the main road there which like was a gravel road back then we're talking about in the 1800s and he would be able to um do his services i have a feeling that perhaps he actually did some of the like the i don't think they called it a layout back then but the way the house is set up there's like five doors on the bottom area one two, three, yeah, five doors. And it's built in a circle shape. And it looked like people could come in the front door and circle around in line. And in the living room, there was an area that looked like maybe they would lay a body there. And so when I did some, you know, I talked to some people in the, um, in the village and they said, yeah, that um, they used to do funerals in that house. Interesting. So, this was early in the 1800s, you know. Well, and that would that would explain a lot of what you're thinking and even the pictures. Um, yes, exactly. So I was curious about you said about the little girl in the school uniform. Did it? Yes. Did it? Did it look like an older uniform? Did it look like a newer uniform? 
I mean, did did it make you think, man, that's just kind of out of place? It was very out of place because it was extremely out of place because it didn't seem like it was really a vivid. You know, have you ever looked at a black and white photo? You aren't exactly certain if it's black or if it's white or if it's a color that just looks black and white because it's black and white. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Yep. That's how she looked. She looked like a photograph, a black and white photograph. Like there wasn't a real, you know, distinction. So yeah, it just seemed very faded. So, you know, it's funny. Um, my daughter, B, she just walked in. She has a story. Hey, B, tell your story. When I was little, we were, me and my brothers had like a sleepover thing in my room. And I went to the bathroom and I had left the door open so I could see down the hallway in my room. And like my room turned from the hallway, but I was in the bathroom and it was a straight hallway down there. And I was using the bathroom and I saw like a little head poke out towards the bottom of the room, the bottom of the door. And when I went in there, all my brothers were asleep. Thank you, girl. She just happened to hop in and it just gives more clarification to my story, having somebody else here tell a story as well. You know, like I'm not making this stuff up. My kids were terrorized. All right, so you said you had another experience you wanted to tell us about? Yep, I sure do. This one happened, and my age is fuzzy, but I can tell you it was second or third grade when this happened. And um, so we went to go on this field trip. I went to a very small private school in this little little village and um, township, and we happened to be able to go on a field trip. And so we were all excited, happy. We all got on the buses and we went to the field trip. Well, our museum tour, whatever it was, ended early. So they decided that we would stop at the park and we would, they would let us do one lap around this um, trail deep in the the woods. They would let us do one lap. So I'm going to set the stage here for you so you understand a little bit of how this how this lap was so there was a larger uh, trail that circled around this big wooded area inside that trail was a smaller trail and that smaller trail just circled a little pond and you could go off of the big trail and go down a tiny little hill it's not even a hill just like it just went down a little bit and then you're on this wooden almost like um bridge like a footbridge it was a footbridge to get to the other side of the pond um and then you could explore over there and then go and hit the larger trail and get back on the long trail and you like split it in half it like split it in half so if you didn't want to do the big trail you could could go across the footbridge across the pond and hit the other side of the larger trail so i wasn't feeling well and my friend wasn't feeling well and we decided what we would do is we would instead of going the long trail we would cut down into where the small trail was and we would just sit there for a few minutes and then we'd head back because we didn't we just weren't feeling well or to hired or whatever we were second third grade i don't remember what the reason was so when you go down and like i said it's not really a hill it's just like a little embankment there and you hit the footbridge if you're standing on it to the right of you is this big pond okay and it's like plugged up under the footbridge so i actually i think the creek fed the pond um there was this tunnel like this metal round tunnel 
um, tube that went underneath the footbridge and on the one side it all gathered there and became a pond on the other side it was just a creek that came from the woods up in the woods and so we're sitting there and I remember looking up into the woods where the creek was and it felt like I don't I really don't know how to explain what I saw but what I saw was almost like if you look at kind of like the sun in a distance there's it like looks like it's wavy you know when it's a super hot day that's what it looked like at way up on this creek like far away from me and and I touched my friend and she said V it's nothing I just want to close my eyes for a minute just leave me alone and I was like okay whatever and I happened to see this little frog down in the creek so I climbed down these like stone looking type steps like they were big blocks of stone but they kind of made a step into the creek and I got into the creek I caught the frog I realized that my shoelace was untied and so I let the frog go and I tied my shoe at that point I stood up and I said I'm hungry you think we should be back at the bus by now and my friend she's like oh my goodness yeah I think we should I said well let's go so we go back to the bus the bus is gone all of our parents both of our sets of parents are there the police are there and they're getting ready to call the fire truck and drain the pond looking for us we had been gone somewhere in the ballpark of three to four hours but we never left that footbridge we never left it we swore up and down to our parents to our teachers to the principal to the police we didn't leave it we were right there why didn't you check the footbridge and I remember the principal started screaming at me she's like what do you think we would be stupid and not check the footbridge that's the first place we looked we were afraid you might have fallen into the pond how could you girls do that to us hiding from us we were about to drain the pond we have had parents and teachers searching for hours for you we have no idea what happened that day because the last thing I remember is tying my shoe that was it but my aunt and my mother they said we personally went over the footbridge and my mom said I know you like snakes and lizards and turtles and frogs so I actually got down into the creek and started walking up the creek thinking that maybe you went that way and I'm like mom I was right there I didn't leave I, I swear to you I didn't leave they never believed us they thought that we hid in the woods from them and that's pretty much the story except I get back and my best friend hates me she hates me I don't know what happened all I know is that she said this is I don't I don't know how you did this or why you did this to us but this is on you this is your fault and I'm grounded and everybody thinks I'm a liar and I said I don't know what you're talking about she said well I was asleep and I said well I I don't know what you're talking about she hated me forever she, we never made amends I, I take that back I guess about the age of 25 she stopped she did some other things that were bad to me after she hated me and we, she's like she apologized for it all we never really became friends or anything after that but we were acquaintances and she ended up 
having some really severe depression in her life. She ended up killing herself when she was in her thirties. So, but that's my story. I don't know if you have any questions or anything. I do. So okay. you, you said three to four hours is what they said you were gone. And yeah. it, it to you guys, it only felt like minutes. Yes. To, to a degree. See, there is a space between the time I tied my shoes and I stood up. Like, there's missing time in my brain. I know it's missing, but I can't remember if... I honestly don't know. I mean, I can't really answer that because I remember tying my shoe and then it seemed like the next second I stood up and I said, oh, I'm hungry. Those two things seem to be connected, but obviously they weren't. There's missing time in there that I'm not aware of. I'm almost wondering, you described the, the waviness. Um, yeah. And I know there's a lot of people out there that believe that you know, there's identical dimensions mm -hmm. to what we have. And it almost seems like maybe, you know, the whole time slip and the waviness could have been like a portal to a different dimension. It could have been. I've had some people that I put this story out there on Reddit and I've had some people that have experienced these kind of things. And this one guy who I'm not going to say there's something wrong with him because he seemed to be very knowledgeable about, he said, this is what this guy said. He said, it's not, and you can look this stuff up on YouTube now. You can look up little clips of people in their hunting stands watching something creep across in front of them and all they can see is the, um, the trees look wavy like I described and they have videos of this stuff now and the guy that responded to me on reddit he said yeah it could have been a time slip or you could have been taken by this creature and they're out there and they believe this guy believes that all the missing in these parks and stuff because I was in a park mind you are from this creature or somebody that can like jump in and out or shape shift or something I don't know and he said that he said I'm very lucky to be alive that I could have really just gone missing forever and he he finds the story very unusual because sometimes the people that go missing in parks they don't show up but then other times they will show up but they'll show up like in a different state or in a different area of the park or you know so but it usually happens like the next day. So whatever this is, they'll keep them for a day or two. With me, it was not a long time. And I'm pretty sure whatever it was, my friend was also a part of it. Like, cause she was asleep. Like when I woke her, I had to like nudge her to wake her up to tell her, hey, I'm hungry, let's go. You know? So I don't know. Yeah, I believe you're talking about the Glimmer Man. Oh, I don't know. A name? I don't know if yeah. that's so. There's a lot of people that that say the Glimmer Man is basically. If you ever saw the movie Predator, yeah, when he goes into his camouflage mode, where he's yeah. invisible, and you see through him, but it's all wavy. Yeah, that's what they call the Glimmer Man. Wow. So, there are a lot of people that, like you said, see that in the woods, and they attribute that. There's a lot of people that attribute it to 
Bigfoot being able to cloak themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Not saying you I had wonder... any, well, I'm not saying you had an experience with Bigfoot, but along those lines, you're you're a lot of the stuff you're talking about is kind of like the missing 411 stuff where yeah. You know, these kids or even adults go missing in a park and yeah. they're found a couple days later or they're not found at all. <clears throat> uh, they'll find right. shoes or something, you know, like 20 miles away. And it's right. something that yeah. a person physically couldn't do in the amount of time they were gone. Right. So, yeah, there's I mean, I mean, it very well could be something like that. I think we're we're at a stage where we're, we're going to find out there's a lot more things out there that people know about that the general public doesn't know about. Right. I think with the Internet, it opened us up to really hearing. I, I was born pre-Internet time, guys. So <laughs> I'm a bit older. So, like, I think the Internet has really opened us up to different things that are out there. And it makes sense to me that there's other things out there, you know? I mean... We're still finding creatures in the sea and in the Amazon forest that we've never seen before, yep. you know? So. So even now we've just found that the government, you know, has to declassify a lot of their UFO files, but there's so many shady things that in the past, you know, 40, 50 years that we know about that the government has done, but they're saying they didn't do. It's very interesting to see what some of the stuff that becomes declassified what we find out that is that is true i i'm have you been reading any of it or no i i've read most of the stuff that i read is doesn't have anything to do with the ufos and stuff i don't think a lot of that stuff has been declassified yet um and the stuff that i have read has been seriously redacted like you can't read half of them because oh, gotcha. you know it's, yeah. it's all redacted that you can't read it that's awful yeah <laughs> But I mean, look what they did with MK Ultra and all that other kind of stuff. Our our government never really has been for us. They've been to use us. Right, right. Well, I have an MK Ultra story. It's one of the things I have, but I don't know if you want to go into that now. But I wanted to tell you something. My father would take us, my adopted father would take us out. He had a camper. We'd go camping everywhere everywhere you know mountains wherever and he said i was absolutely always petrified of the woods and i would beg him not let's not go in the woods let's not go in the woods he said from the time i was like three i would scream and cry and they never they stopped hiking in the woods because i was too petrified to do it and um and it always you know looking back on this story something with what my friend said she kept saying it was my fault and I kept wondering did she see something did she remember something that her little eight or nine year old head mine couldn't really grasp but she knew it was somehow related to me somehow I mean I don't know you know but based on what my father said of me being terrified and I really don't like the woods to this day and I told people on reddit that I would go back but they have shut down those trails and you can't get to that pond anymore without having to go through thick wooded area outside of a trail I did attempt to go back and I'm not going to lie I was very frightened standing on the edge of those woods I was not comfortable and I'm like I'm not walking through these deep woods alone and so I got back in my car and I haven't been back since 
So weird, I know, but that, it's very interesting that you know to this day it affects you. So very possibly yeah. that your mind has blocked something out. It could have been a kidnap case. It might have just been a guy. You know, I don't know that managed to pick us up and take us somewhere and then people I don't know but I did see that fuzzy thing and it was just so weird because one moment I'm tying my shoe and the next moment I'm standing up from tying my shoe so did my mind put that together and that guy just put me on the side of the creek I don't know see that's why it's so weird to me so yeah, I mean, I've had some people on Reddit say you were probably like chloroformed and maybe you were molested and you just don't remember it. I don't know. I don't think that's the case though. I don't know. Maybe it is, but it's weird. And if I hadn't seen the, that forest looked funny to me to the point that I asked my friend, did she see that? Something, I don't know. It's weird. So when you when you met back up with your friend, did she ever say anything about that area? Like, nothing. No. Nothing. Not a word. And I didn't bring it up. Well, and I fact- think it was one of those we never talked about it. We never ever talked about that incident ever. Except for what she said that one time. So whatever it was, it was enough that it scared us both to the point that we were afraid to talk about it. And if you ever do an MK Ultra show or you want something on MK Ultra, I can tell you that I know a lot about it because I was part of it. People don't believe me. I know it sounds crazy, but mostly it was my other adopted sister that got it the worst. But we I was involved in some weird things as a child. Well, I tell so, you what, maybe we'll have to do just a whole show on that. You could if you wanted to, yeah. It's not if I like, want to, it would be if you want to. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I will tell I will tell you that that part of it scares me. It's the one part that I'm real hesitant to talk about. It's weird. I can talk about being missing in the woods. I can talk about all these ghosts and demons and whatnot. But talking about this family and this MK Ultra thing scares me. It's one of the one things that I Actually, really scares me because there's just been a lot of stuff a lot of different families involved well thanks V for coming on and, and sharing your experiences with us and hopefully we'll be able to uh, get some more of the stories from you later on sounds great I appreciate it I like being here thanks for having me you're welcome thank you bye 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 Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show. Like, share, and follow us on Facebook, as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, You can either email me to admin at thestuffofnightmarespodcast.show or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness. I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.